Welcome to HelpCast. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. The Joint Trauma System is an organization within the Defense Department that works to improve trauma care across the military health system and support combatant command surgeons and medical staff. The Joint Trauma System also collects trauma data across the military health system through the Defense Department Trauma Registry, an online data repository for DOD trauma-related injuries. It is also a tool that generates actionable clinical information to improve medical readiness. Today, I spoke with Joint Trauma System Chief Colonel Stacy Shackelford and Deputy Chief Mary Ann Spott about the new COVID-19 registry that they're building to improve medical readiness to combat the novel coronavirus. They shared with me how they scaled up their data collection capabilities to build out the registry and insights they hope to gain as they collect more data about COVID-19. Colonel Shackelford and Dr. Spot, thank you for joining us on HealthCast. Thank you for having us. So just to get things kicked off, can you briefly let listeners know a little bit about the Joint Trauma System and what its role within military health is? Yeah, thank you. The Joint Trauma System is a performance improvement organization that started with the conflicts in CENTCOM, Central Command, Iraq and Afghanistan in about 2005. And we built a trauma registry to collect and analyze data in order to improve outcomes of trauma care. And that has gradually expanded to where we're now a worldwide organization for performance improvement and trauma in the Department of Defense. And Dr. Spot, you helped build the DOD Trauma Registry in 2006. Can you explain the history behind the registry's role within military health and maybe a little bit about the role you play in maintaining it? Sure. So the trauma registry started as a concept in different areas. So there was a collection of data on Excel spreadsheets in CENTCOM. There were efforts at an access database in Germany, and there was a homegrown web system here in San Antonio. And none of them really belonged in one central place in one standardized format. So we started out with getting a state-of-the-art software through a company that had many years of experience in building trauma registries. So we worked with that company and built what is now the DODTR. It used to be known as the JTTR, the Joint Theater Trauma Registry. And as we became the oversight organization, we renamed it and termed it the Department of Defense Trauma Registry. So the theater portion, the JTTR, is what is in each combatant command, and the composite database is the DODTR, which resides here in San Antonio at the JTS. So we've used it throughout the organization. It's really the backbone of every function that we have. So it's used for performance improvement. It's used for provision of raw data to researchers. We use it to get a sense of what some of the issues are that are coming around. For example, in 2008, we were starting to see a lot of amputations and blast injuries. So we were able to run the database and develop some clinical practice guidelines based off that. And the other clinical practice guidelines also have the DODTR assist in identifying cases for review and analysis. So we've really expanded the use of the data, and we are a very data-driven organization. So 
anytime anyone has a question on how many, how much, what was the outcome, we can use that trauma registry to help us get the answer. As we developed it further, we built what I would consider the very first integrated registry system. And by that, I mean that we took the DODTR and recognized that there's other specialties within trauma, of course, right? So neurosurgery, orthopedics, and so forth. And we recognized that they require more finite information than just the trauma patient. So for example, the orthopedics community might want the cavitation dimensions of soft tissue, so the length, depth, and width of the injury, and the size of the tear of a tendon, and how much loss of bone there was. And that's not something that you would normally collect in any trauma registry. So we built an add-on module that receives a lot of data that's already been collected from the trauma registry and imports it into that module. And then the registrars just complete the remainder of the information, which is, like I said, very, very fine information. So we've built several modules. We have TBI, ocular, hearing, vision, and the NROUTE care registry, which isn't completely incorporated into it yet. But we took all those registries and kind of formed them into one large registry that feeds off of the DODTR. So it's the first time that you could go into the orthopedic part of the trauma registry and say, how many of those patients have TBI? And so we can easily connect those two registries and get a larger data set that has been collected in a standardized, high-quality way and use those data from one source. So its purpose was to you know, be a, a single system for various kinds of injuries and provide finer detail to the researcher or the performance improvement initiative. So it's really helped us quite a bit. One of the things that we recognized was that a registry isn't a registry isn't a registry. So for example, in the TBI registry, the neuro TBI registry, there are things that are collected in a different way. So every three months they do a certain test or every month they do a certain test. And in trauma, usually you're in and you're out and you're out to a rehab or a long-term care facility. But some of these TBI patients will come back with new symptoms. And so the owners or the subject matter experts, I should say, wanted to follow patients out over a long period of time. And so it takes a lot for our registrars to find that documentation if it does exist and provide those outcomes for those subject matter experts. So the TBI neuro registry is a little different than the orthopedic in terms of how you collect the data. But at the end of the day, you can take one patient and look at all of the registry components that it has data in and get a very rich look at that patient's care. Just building off that data collection aspect, how does the joint trauma system collect the health data from all those different trauma registries, given the differences in that data registering and collection? We have data registrars that are specific to each of the registries. So the training is you know generic up until the trauma point. And then once you get into the specific module, they have different business rules, they have different training, they all have it the same, you know, high quality standard, but it differs in the training. And so those registrars become expert in those data element captures because they know where to look in the record for it, where the best documentation is, and 
you know, they develop that. Right now, it is a review, a visual review and a manual process. So they're looking in the charts and data entering into the DODTR. And we are currently looking at the possibility of joining it up with the medical record and downloading data elements to free up the registrars to do some of the other abstraction. So we're kind of in the the knee-deep waters of doing that. We're going to still try to figure out how we're going to do that because we want to maintain the quality of the data and the data's each data element has a data definition. So we want to make sure that those things are accurate so that we still get very high quality information. And Colonel Shackelford has been intimately involved in the use of our infectious disease module to do the COVID registry stuff. And that's where the biggest effort has been made to have automatic download into the registry. Definitely. And speaking of the COVID-19 registry, The Joint Trauma System is now incorporating that COVID-19 element into its trauma registry, I guess, to help defense professionals improve their response to the virus. Can you explain the origins of this process and how you built upon the existing infrastructure and data collection tools you have to scale up and provide information about COVID-19? Yeah, sure. So this actually started as an idea that the infectious disease specialists at Uniform Services University had to start up a registry. And they really did get the idea from the trauma registry and the processes we had established for trauma. And they were talking to one of the surgeons up there at Uniform Services University, and he said, you should really call the joint trauma system and ask them how to do registries. And so they called us and we started off giving them some advice. But As we got more into the details of how were they going to do this, it just became, you know, apparent that it really is an entire organization that it takes to do this whole process. And JTS had already organized the, you know, the entire organization around that. And so ultimately, it ended up that we partnered with Uniform Services University and their subject matter experts in infectious disease. And we took on the task of building the registry and running the performance improvement capability. I would say that it has been quite a challenge, but I do think that the organization that JTS has really was very well equipped to shift as quickly as possible from trauma to COVID. It has filled a very important gap for the DOD to be able to collect this data on the COVID patients. We really can't collect it as fast as they would like it. There's almost an insatiable appetite for COVID data right now in the Department of Defense. So in order to help us try to go a little bit quicker with some of the data elements, we have done quite a bit of work to improve the automation processes be able to transfer data from the electronic health records into the registry automatically. But in a lot of the cases, in order to get the amount of detail that we really need to understand the interventions, the outcomes, complications, et cetera, we actually are still relying on our registrars to manually do the abstractions. Another thing we realized is that the performance improvement of capabilities of JTS, which involves worldwide conferences, discussions among subject matter experts, people delivering care in real time over in Africa, over in Central Command, over in the Pacific, all of these people were learning lessons that were able to be brought together and shared. 
And so that capability to collect and analyze data, to conduct real-time discussions and turn those discussions around into rapid performance improvement, that capability just didn't exist outside of JTS. And so really, it's been an interesting experience, but I think JTS was the best equipped organization to handle it. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. So given that collection of data about COVID-19, what kind of information have you been gathering throughout your work? And have you made any discoveries or inferences that you're finding from that information? I'd say we're still pretty early in the process. We have collected about 200 data points on each of the patients. This ranges from the patient characteristics, such as their symptoms, vital signs, lab values, et cetera, to the interventions they receive, the medications and the treatments, and then their outcomes in terms of survival as well as complications. And we really don't have enough patients in the registry to fully be able to find a statistical difference between the different types of treatments that they are receiving. However, we have conducted a fair bit in the performance improvement category. For instance, there's been a large campaign in the DOD to collect COVID convalescent plasma as an early treatment for COVID once you become hospitalized. And so... When we did the analysis on time from admission to time to receiving plasma, in the first month that treatment was available, it was over 12 days, where our clinical practice guideline actually recommends to give the treatment as soon as possible. Over the next few months, as we followed this out, the time from hospitalization to receiving the treatment has decreased to under two days now and is getting closer to where we would like to see it. When we identify a problem like that, typically we have to drill down and figure out why that's occurring. Is it because of a supply issue? Do they not have it available? Is it because of a process issue as far as, you know, following the force protection protocol to get the plasma, you know, to the patient within the facility? Is it a knowledge gap for the clinicians? Are they, you know, waiting too long and too late to give it when it's no longer effective? Or, you know, potentially, is there something that needs to be changed in the guidelines? So we look at all of those reasons why the delay may be occurring. And in this case, it seemed initially it was probably a supply issue, but as the supplies improved, then it was partially an education issue. We had updated our guidelines, and then we just pursued an aggressive education campaign through our conferences and through our educational platforms. And this site has definitely trended towards the right direction as far as that. How do you see the new information that you're collecting about COVID-19 otherwise also helping frontline workers or researchers address growing cases around the country? Do you have any examples or stories of how providers or researchers leverage the registry's information? So the COVID registry is still pretty early in its implementation. However, we have multiple examples of how the trauma registry has improved practice just by taking data from the registry, looking at the patient characteristics, the interventions that they received, and the outcomes. So some of the questions we have for the COVID registry haven't been able to be answered yet, but the questions we're looking at trying to address is, Time from diagnosis to onset of symptoms, what is that time? What is the incidence of asymptomatic disease in our community? What 
type of treatments did patients receive as outpatients? And did that reduce the chance of them becoming hospitalized? What type of treatments did they receive on admission to the hospital? And did those treatments shorten their hospital stay, improve their survival, or reduce the chances of you know, needing to go on a ventilator? These are all the questions that we're looking to answer for our patient population. We do also study the civilian literature very closely, and uh, if we notice some trends in the civilian literature, that may also guide us as far as where we're headed with our data analysis as well. But I think we're pretty early in the process, and you know, it kind of just emphasizes that this is a, quite a challenge to initiate this process during a pandemic. We certainly wish we would have had the uh, foresight to have a pandemic registry in advance of the pandemic, but I think we'll you know, have a lot of lessons learned in that regard. What are some of the challenges that you have faced, speaking of which, around building the COVID-19 repository? Or perhaps are there more generally other areas of medicine within the trauma registry that you face challenges with? You mentioned before that the different registries collect different kinds of data. So do you find difficulties with data sharing or privacy concerns around the data? So the biggest challenge we have is if it's not documented, we can't gather the data. So that remains a problem that's consistent through all registries. Pre-hospital data, did they write blunt abdominal injury versus transected abdominal aorta? So depending on how they document is a big factor. I think that the privacy issue has been pretty much resolved through the trauma registry and is applicable to the other registries. So we work with our privacy office to release data we follow all the appropriate HIPAA guidelines and privacy guidelines that are out there. So we don't have any issues so much as that other than the time it takes to get it released. And we don't have, you know, release to anybody and their brother. So it's not a public use database. It's within the federal and DOD areas, unless one of the service members is working with the group to get data. So I would probably say that documentation and access to the data are the biggest challenges. The access to the data, when you mentioned that we had different registries, the part about the integrated registry is that it's all written on on the same platform. So it's very easy to navigate. The access to the medical informations from which our registrars pulled the data was another problem. So different medical treatment facilities use different electronic medical records, and each medical treatment facility controls the access to that documentation and information. So for the COVID registry, that was a big hurdle for us because we have 25 people that need access to an MTF. So that MTF has to create 25 accounts. And then the next MTF and the next MTF. And I think the other day we were talking about it and it was 1,144 requests. Yeah, separate accounts to get uh, just the registrars, the access to the data that they need to collect. So that was based off of our current electronic health record in the DOD, which is a centrist for inpatients. They are building new electronic health record or rolling out a new electronic health record over the next few years with Genesis that will allow much easier centralization of data collection. But I've said a few times it was almost like our current electronic health record was designed to prevent centralized collection of data and it's been a huge hurdle. But fortunately there is a replacement on the horizon. 
Yeah, I think we've grown a lot in the last 15 years in terms of data collection across the board in the DOD, and they're recognizing that the standardization and common platforms are going to help us significantly as we move into the future. For sure. And speaking of improved electronic health records and easier data collection capabilities, Many IT professionals within medicine are looking toward those EHRs and APIs and interoperability in the future. Does the Joint Trauma System support efforts like these? You mentioned MHS Genesis. And how do you see it fitting more into your work in the future or even now? So we are very much in favor of the MHS Genesis platform, and we do think that there will be an ability to download a lot of our data elements. There'll still be some that require a person going through and analyzing it. You know, there's pros and cons on both sides. So one of the cons to doing it manually is, of course, the time it takes to do that. One of the pros is that, you know, people are collecting standardized data according to data definition. So that's something that we're working through right now. But as it stands, I would say that the Genesis will solve a lot of problems for a lot of people in the DOD. It is a combination. You know, we've thought about this in terms of trauma, too. And uh, similar to the COVID, if you had a really large scale conflict where there were large numbers of casualties, we'd be in a similar situation as we are with COVID, where we're literally getting thousands of patients per week or, you know, even per day. And that number of casualties in order to collect records on large numbers like that, it would need to be automated. But there are still quite a few things that you know, really require that interpretation. One of them in particular is coding, medical coding. We really don't have any accurate way to code medical diagnoses without, you know, a trained registrar. Just that interpretation of, you know, what is the diagnosis and how do I transfer that to a diagnosis code or a procedure code? Those are critical elements of data for the registry to understand, you know, what is the diagnosis and the complications, and we just can't get that through an automated process at this time. We do hope, uh, and we certainly support any sort of IT efforts to be able to fully, you know, automate this data. When we look at trauma data, much of the really, really important early resuscitation information is all handwritten. And to be able to have some way to capture that handwritten data electronically would also facilitate the speed or to be able to go back and instead of having to handwrite it, to have an electronic platform that could be so fast and so accurate that it could capture in an electronic format the multiple interventions that occur within a few minutes in the initial trauma. You know, those are all things we're looking towards for the future registry capabilities. And looking forward to the future even further, or if you had to wave a magic wand or something, what other technologies and IT infrastructure do you hope to see advance and improve to help improve the mission of your organization? One of our biggest challenges is that early pre-hospital, outside of the hospital care, particularly for trauma, for COVID is not as fast moving, but when you talk about trauma, it's really those early interventions in just the first few minutes after trauma. So ways to record and capture that type of data in physiology of the patients automatically. 
perhaps even some type of monitors. You know, we all have smartwatches now that are monitoring our heart rate constantly, even while we're just working in the office or exercising. But if we were able to somehow catch that data in patients before they even became injured and then continue to follow it through their injuries and on into their hospitalization, you know, those are things that we're looking at. Some of them are just uh, challenges with identifying patients. You know, our patients move multiple times, especially the injured patients, but even, uh, you know, medical patients in deployed environments. And it can be very difficult, especially if they're unconscious or not able to communicate or a foreign national patient that doesn't speak English. It can be extremely difficult to identify that patient and track them as they move so that you know this patient who showed up at another hospital later on or on a medevac is actually the same patient. So patient tracking technologies is very important as well. And then even farther, more important is to integrate the injury and treatment information with the operational information of the environment. There's a lot of operational type of information that is collected in secure databases, things like, you know, what the specific mission was, the angle of attack, you know, the size of the explosive. This is all information that's collected in other databases and never really linked to the injury database, which is ours. And so we're reaching out to our partners that track this information, trying to increase our secure database capabilities. And I think getting everybody on the same platform that are outside the U.S. is another problem. So Africa can't necessarily get us the information because they don't collect it or, you know, there's, we need COCOM trauma systems in each AOR so that they can provide those data to us because anything outside the U.S., CENTCOM or Germany really is a challenge to get. So it's a big ask and a big lift, but I think once we get on a common platform, that'll really be helpful. I think the other thing is, you know, sometimes our patients after they leave go to a community facility for care. And once they drop off our radar screen, we can't get those outcomes to see how they're doing. So MILSIV partnerships will be very important for us so that we can share those data as well. Gotcha. I guess moving forward, you guys have a big mountain climb, but you're making strides already. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to interview with me. It's been fantastic. And thank you for the work you do. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Bryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.